lot of us are afraid to share our grief because like for me, one of my biggest fears is like, well, there's other people that are dealing with way worse things than what I'm dealing with, you know, and nobody wants to be bothered with the pain that I'm feeling when I don't know what pain maybe they're feeling, or I do know what pain they're feeling. And it's just, and what I've learned the most, the last two years is that it doesn't matter what grief other people are there are grieving your grief is valid and what you feel and what you're going through is painful for you and that doesn't negate other people's pain and other people's grief in fact you know you can lift each other up because sometimes it's so hard to lift yourself up and when you share it with people they can you know be the one to hold you up regardless of what they're going through. And sometimes it almost helps them, you know, not think about what they're dealing with as well. Yes. Don't worry. I'm already recording. I'm already getting all this, Jamie. I know, oh, you're, I, I know you're looking at me like, oh my God, this is so good. So don't worry. We're recording already. So we're good. Um, and we'll, we'll pop, we'll figure out a way to make this all flow much more seamlessly, but um, yeah. So everyone welcome to today's episode of emotional duct tape. Um, I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. And uh, before I introduce our special guest today, I just want to say everyone, thank you for listening. Um, when this episode, um, uh, this week, this episode is recorded, but it won't happen for a month by now, but we broke a thousand downloads uh, this week for us, which is huge, special, wonderful. Thank you everyone who listens. Thank you so much. <laughs> we're, we're, over, we're overjoyed. Um, you know, thank you for, for sharing. I'm hearing a lot of people, um, you know, reaching out and saying, Hey, you know, um, I have a friend who is going through X, Y, and Z. I shared your podcasts, you know, like, and it's helping. And that's, you know, that's all we could ask for is that we're, we're helping you guys because we're all in this together. Um, yeah. And so, uh, it's interesting to talk about grief every week. You know, it's a really, um, I, I don't know about you, Jamie, but I've always felt for myself that like, I, I didn't realize just how much capacity I had to hear sad stuff. And I mean that in the best way, because it's always offset by these people who are saying, yeah, life is hard right now, or it's been hard, or I'm still going through it, but there's hope. Yes. Um, so, and uh, we were just starting the conversation with our guest a second ago. Um, and there is hope here. So um we have our friend Ashley on the podcast today. Ashley, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So uh, we found Ashley like we do many of our guests on TikTok. And it was one of those Stitch videos where um, the video was like, you know, tell me, you know, the reason why you're single without telling me why you're single. And um, from the first second, Ashley showed up on the camera, took a deep breath. She's like, I need a drink for what I'm going to say. Um, but she was talking about her um, her life and living with endometriosis. Um, now, as a guy, I, I don't really know endometriosis, but I do because I see more people experiencing it now. Or maybe I'm just, my circle is getting bigger, so more people are dealing with it. But it really does relate to um uh, infertility and the ability to have children. And in this video, you said, you know, one of your greatest fears was that you find someone who is great and then you, they, they reject you because, um, because you can't give them what they want, but you know, with, with, with things and that that's a really vulnerable place to be. So I really appreciate you doing that, uh, on TikTok. 
Thank you. <laughs> it was definitely very difficult for me to liquid courage. I'm telling you, <laughs> it is, it is a necessity in some instances. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing is the fact, I mean, Corey, based on what you were saying is you're hearing more women. And the fact of the matter is, is one in 10 women suffer from this disease. And it's not diagnosed. It takes like seven to 10 years for a diagnosis. It took 18 years for me to be diagnosed. Multiple doctors, multiple doctors telling me that I'm crazy, that I'm looking for pain meds, that I'm, you know, it, I'm just, you know, I have a low tolerance for pain. I, you know, oh, just have a baby. It'll help. Uh, you know, oh periods, aren't, periods aren't that painful. Like you're just being over, you're being an overdramatic teenager. Like, the gambit I've heard, and I've gone to so many doctors. I've probably spent 20 upwards of $20,000 on doctor's visits just, you know, over the course of these years, just because like I would hear it once. And then actually when I was 23, I demanded because my aunt also had endometriosis. She actually had a hysterectomy at 42, a full hysterectomy at 42. Um, and I demanded that the doctor do a laparoscopic um, exploratory surgery. And that's the only way you can be diagnosed with this. It's not shown on CT scans. It's not shown on MRIs. It's not shown on ultrasounds. It, you can't tell via a pelvic exam or anything like that. The only way to be diagnosed is if you have a mass on your ovary or if you're surgically diagnosed. Um, and I was 23 and I went in and the doctor came, I came out of the surgery and he was like, you're totally fine. Everything's clean, clean as a whistle. You just have like painful periods and that, and he sent me on my way. And I went to multiple doctors afterwards because I've moved and, and things like that and insurance changes and all blah, blah, blah. And, you know, none of them, when I told them my situation, none of them said, oh, well, maybe he didn't do, do a good enough job or do you have the report or anything like that? And it was only until 2018 when my pain, my periods got so painful that I, and it wasn't just the period, it was after my period. And I was in chronic pain. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't able to work out. I was literally taking naps on my lunch break at work um, coming home and just like eating whatever was simple, like pasta or pizza or whatever, you know, not eating healthy because that takes time and effort and going to the grocery store. And I literally had zero energy. And energy. Exactly. <laughs> An and energy that you don't have when the pain just takes it all out of you. Yeah. It, and it's not even just the pain that takes it out of you. Cause my pain was like a six, seven, but having like a six, seven pain every single day, three weeks out of a month, like I would get a week of relief and then all of a sudden it would be back again. And I finally went to the doctor and I, they gave me an ultrasound and everything like that. And they're like, Oh, well you have a mass on your ovary. That's about five centimeters. And I, I looked at it and I was like, millimeters, <laughs> like, no, not centimeters, millimeters. And he's like, no centimeters. And I'm like, mm. I'm like trying to visualize. I was like, that's big. He's like, yeah, we want to monitor it. So we'll, we'll have another uh, ultrasound in a month. I come back and it had grown 2.5 centimeters oh. in a matter of a month. 
And so he was like, okay, we have to do surgery, um, to remove it. And so I was like, okay, so I go to surgery and he laparotomy. So I had a scar like this big on my abdomen. Um, I wake up and he's like, well, we didn't get the full cyst. Uh, you have stage four endometriosis. It's everywhere. It's, it's all of your organs are cemented together. And I was like, so what'd you do? He's like, well, I don't do, I'll, I don't deal with endometriosis. Um, so you have to find another doctor. And I'm just like, literally coming out of anesthesia, like, wait, what, <laughs> what did you, I don't understand. Um, and finding a doctor and I live in Los Angeles, like you would think there'd be a, an abundance of doctors that understand endometriosis and deal with it on a regular basis, considering how large the city is. I spent a year and a half fighting my insurance, fighting like doctors and referrals and all these things, trying to find a doctor that actually dealt with endometriosis. I went to one doctor and he was just like, oh, well, uh, endometriosis doesn't really affect infertility or fertility. And I'm like, are you sure you're a doctor? Like all the research I've done says that it does. Oh, well, you know, did, did you just Google it? I'm like, yeah, but I'm reading actual doctoral like reports that talk about this. I'm not just like reading this girl's blog about it. Right. <laughs> and it just, it made me mad. He put me on like different birth controls. He's like, ah, this will be just fine. And I, it started messing with my brain. Like I'm a very happy, bubbly person. And normally, and I was like, I was suicidal. I was, I was like, what if I just drove my car into this like median? Like, those are not thoughts I normally have. <laughs> and I called the doctor. I was like, I need to be off. And he didn't answer my calls. I called every day for three weeks and I never got a call back. And then one day I called 57 times in one day before I got an actual person on the phone. Like it was literally, I wouldn't talk to a person. Even if it was during office hours, it would go straight to voicemail. So I literally called the number 57 times until finally someone picked up the, the phone and I started school. I went full-fledged Karen, like, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but sometimes it's validated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in, in, you know, in these kinds of situations, um, yeah. with, with, with doctors not being heard. Um, and you know, you're, you're talking about how like it made you feel crazy and things like that that is the grief right there, yeah. right? It is it is such a tremendous grief of, you can't live your normal life. You can't do the things you want to do because you're exhausted. Yeah. Um, then you're even more exhausted because you've got these, you know, these doctors and things um, yeah. that are not, you know, people that are not listening to you. That's yeah. wild. So, so what happens next? <laughs> I reported that doctor because I, I couldn't believe that a doctor would felt that it was okay to completely ignore a patient for three weeks in a row after countless voicemails. Um, so I reported them and I finally was able to go to UCLA. They had literally just opened it, opened UCLA up to my insurance the month before. And it, it was a godsend. And I was like, Finally, I went to UCLA. My doctor was amazing. She, you know, we, we went and got my fertility checked out and I had gone to fertility specialists because I have my best friend of 33 years. 
uh, we've known each other since we were babies. And um, she offered to let me, to pay for me to freeze my eggs, which is a very expensive. It's response. very expensive. I've looked into it. It's like upwards of $10,000. Yeah. For one session. And I went to two fertility specialists because they were free consultations, right? And I just paid like $50 to get some tests done, blood work and stuff like that done. And both the fertility doctors basically called me and said, we are not taking your money. It's basically, you would have to do four rounds to just get 10 viable eggs. Mm. And then if you weren't gonna fertilize them, so, if, so you'd either have to get a sperm donor or you just freeze them. If you freeze the eggs without an, without being embryos, you're risking half of them going away. And then with your condition, you have a 15% chance of them being viable pregnancies. So I mean, I'm not very good at gambling, but I know those odds are not <laughs> for $40,000. Um, so I you know, it, it broke me that that was the consensus. Um, and so, you know, but I, I kind of like gave up dating for, for that period of time. I'm like, I just need to focus on my health. Like that's, that's the only thing that matters right now. And it's not like I'm in a rush to have a baby anymore (laughs) because it's kind of off the table at the moment. Um, And, but yes, so I went to UCLA, the doctors were amazing. Um, I had surgery in July of 2020. It did get pushed back a few times because of COVID, of course. Um, It was supposed to happen in April of 2020 and it happened in the end of July. Um, And basically, uh, you know, when they went in, all of my organs had been cemented together by endometrial tissue. Uh, The cyst had grown back. So the original surgery, when he removed it, it was the size of a grapefruit. He removed part of it. It had already grown back to about the size of a lemon um, at the second surgery. And they did their best to remove as much endometrial tissue. My appendix was like hugging my ovary. Um, you know, my bowels and everything were all connected to like the, the muscle lining of my abdomen. It, it was insane. And um, like the pictures that they showed us, it was, it was interesting, but crazy. Um, but they had to remove my fallopian tube and they had to, they were going to remove my right ovary. Uh, but it was too connected to, I think it's called a ureter and it's what connects your kidneys and your bladder together. Um, and they didn't have like a general oncologist in to help remove it. Um, so they just kind of lasered the crap out of it. Um, but it's just a little dead ovary just floating in my body. Um, but yeah, you know, it was a very successful surgery. Um, but when I came out of it, I've never felt so validated in my entire life by doctors who were like, not only were you not exaggerating, you were underplaying your pain. You should have not been, you should have been disabled. You should have not been able to walk. You the fact that you were getting up and doing things, you know, all the time is, a feat like you are a badass and I'm like yeah you are oh god it felt it was like it felt so good sometimes validation is like the best feeling like I'm not crazy like because when you're in pain and you don't know what's going on that's the biggest fear I feel like is that like am I am I exaggerating this am I you know 
is it all in my head? And it's, and it's not like, you know, your body and trust it. Like, that's the biggest thing I've walked away from this is like, I should have been fighting so much harder these last few years. And what's the, the kicker after the, the, the surgeon who was like, Oh, I don't do endometriosis. I was like, but I went and had surgery to check and they said I didn't have it. So I searched for my medical reports and I was 23. I didn't know to ask for those things or photos. I didn't know I was supposed to get photos and a, and a surgery breakdown or anything like that. And so I did, I searched for the doctor. I found it. They sent me the report. There was two photos taken Two. They usually take upwards of like 18 Wow. and there was no biopsy done. And on the report, it actually says the camera malfunctioned halfway through, but what, from what we had seen, she was fine. (gasps) And it was past the legal limit of like, I can't sue for malpractice. I can't do anything because it had been like 13 years. It was, I I've never felt such anger in my entire life. I've never wanted to like key someone's car, but I (laughs) wanted to key that doctor's car. I've, I've never, I'm a male. I, 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 I'm very privileged. I can say that I I can admit that I'm very privileged that, you know, but um, yeah, the, the grief that associated with invalidation though, I mean, Jamie can speak to this too, because Jamie has, has a chronic condition that medical community doesn't really recognize, but I mean, God, like that's, I mean, I feel heated for you because, but it's like, I just, it's it's sad that that there's still the medical community that invalidates um, people's pain well, to the extent like that. And it's the soulless. What's the how am I trying to phrase this? The the soulless taking um, from people that don't from the naive. Um, I had a foot surgery in 2010, so I was you know 25 or so then. And, um, like here you talk about this. I'm like, oh my God, that's what this guy did to me. I didn't need that surgery. I didn't need the surgery at all. I mean, basically I was running and I was, my feet were in a lot of pain all the time. And so I went to the doctor. He said, you have flat feet. You need a full foot reconstruction. And I just said, okay, I guess that, you know, you know what I, what I need to do. And literally like I, I never got my calf muscle back. I, and I, you know, and it still hurts me every day. It hurts me worse than it did if I had just stopped running. Like I was running marathons and stuff. So if I had just stopped, you know, and I'm like, like you're talking about this. I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. That's exactly what this guy did. And like, he just, they just are completely soulless. They, it's like, are they narcissists? Is that, is that what's going on? Are these doctors narcissists? I'm having so many epiphanies right now, yeah. um, but that's crazy. And I'm so sorry you went through that, but like what amazing smarts you have, you know, especially when you were so young to fight and, and, and say, no, I want this surgery to do your research. Like that's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I, if I could go back Obviously I would be like, I want, I want to see my surgical reports. And now I know, and that, and that's one, one of the things I'm trying, that's why I joined TikTok is because, and especially like this month, I've been, you know, doing a few things because t- this March is endometriosis awareness month. Um, so I think it's kind of fitting that I'm ending endometriosis awareness month. Yes. About it. oh, this is- it's not going to air that during the month, but that's okay. Right? 
It's okay. We'll, um, we'll let people know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, I think more women are starting to speak out on it and because it needs to not be so cliche. I mean, for a long time, like people are like, oh, don't talk about your periods. It's gross. Right. It's like, well, yeah, but it's part of life. Like that's how we make babies. <laughs> yeah. Like it happens. Like, I'm sorry that you're uncomfortable, but I'm not, I need, we need to talk about this. Like there's so many women that live in silence and in pain. And, and the craziest thing that I'm learning and cause I do, I I've joined endometriosis support groups and everything like that. And my cousin, she just got diagnosed with endometriosis and she had no symptoms. Wow. Zero. And that's the craziest thing is like, you have some people who have stage one and they're in so much pain. They're in the hospital every other month. And then you have women that are stage four and they never had any symptoms. And it's only until they try and get pregnant and they have an issue with like pregnancy that they go to the doctor and the doctor does like a, a, like they go and do searches and stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, you totally have endometriosis. And they're like, what? And it's, and it's so unresearched. It's underfunded. There's one doctor, I believe in the UK, that's actually starting to try and create a, um, a cure for it, but there is no cure for endometriosis. It's surgeries to remove the scar tissue and birth control. And, uh, I mean, I got an IUD put in, um, February of 2019, February 14th, actually. So, uh, what a romantic Valentine's day that was. Um, a doctor pinched my cervix and was telling me to relax and I almost kicked him in the face. Um, but <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know if anybody, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, had an IUD. Yes. They I, I've never had an IUD, so but any kind of, I have had all sorts of things yeah. with, with, you know, that stuff. And yeah, I, like you so. said, touch, just touch your cervix. I'm like, I, yeah. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I feel for I'm you so really much experience. Um, I totally threw up in my friend's car on the way home. Uh, <laughs> but it's... I, you have to be on hormone therapy. You have to. So either birth control, IUD, something like that, because, um, endometrial tissue creates its own estrogen. And so it just kind of grows on its own and um, if you don't try and manage it in some, ma- in some capacity with hormones, it's, it's just, and even a full hysterectomy isn't always necessarily a full cure. Um, because if they miss any amount of endometrial tissue, it'll grow on its own. It's, it's wow. an incurable disease at the moment. And they also don't know where it comes from. The only thing that they, they understand is that it's genetic. I know a little bit about endometriosis, but I know a lot about PCOS. Like, are they, they're similar, right? They are. Um, PCOS has other issues, uh, you know, like the facial hair, like there's women who have facial hair growing on them. And I thankfully do not have that. Um, and I, I can't imagine the pain as a woman to feel like you need to shave or, any of those things. Um, you know, so my heart goes out to those, those women and there's women who have endometriosis, PCOS and adenomyosis, which is where the endometrial tissue grows inside of the muscle of the uterus. So their uterus is like three times the size it's supposed to be. I mean, there's just so many different things, um, that we're learning about the female anatomy, but again, while we're learning about it, we, we have no real solutions for it at the moment. 
Right. Yeah. That's why we need to speak up and we need to, you know, talk about it because the more people are, are aware of it and, and especially the fact that it takes so long to be diagnosed with a lot of these diseases, PCOS, adenomyosis, endometriosis, all of those take anywhere from five to 10 years to be diagnosed. Again, I, it took me 18 years to be diagnosed. I'm so sorry. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know what though, if I can change, if I can cause one girl to realize that having super painful periods is not normal. It is, I mean, yes, a, a little cramping here and there is normal, but a, a pamperin or a mitol should be able to cure it. If it's not, there's something else going on. And if, if my story can change one person's life and they can go to their doctor and, and talk about those things and know what they're talking about, do their research. And I mean, and when I was going through it, when I was a teenager, the internet was, it was there, but it wasn't like as grand and as vast as it is now, you know? So, you know, the biggest takeaway I want people to realize is it's not normal for you to be in that much pain. And if you are in that much pain, find a doctor that's going to research it and not just like go, Oh, I mean, and there's a lot of different, um, specialists that specialize just in endometriosis, um, that you can find on the internet. Um, and that's the biggest thing and going to them and, and seeing what they recommend you do, uh, to make sure that this, it doesn't get to the point. Like, cause if I could have been on hormone therapy years ago, who knows, maybe not, maybe, you know, at 36 years old, I wouldn't be, you know, looking down the barrel at infertility and, and never being a, you know, a biological mother, but you know, but maybe at the end of the day, like, I know that there's a purpose for this. Do I know what it is? No. Um, but do I have the capacity to love a person that's not, that doesn't come for me? Absolutely. And so maybe this is just God's way of saying, you know what you need to adopt because you have that capacity to love. So you just need to be able to do that. Well, I was going to ask too. So you've, I mean, there, there's kind of a, a process of grief because obviously endometriosis, you know, you have it, yes. you've taken, you've, you've gotten surgery to help, you know, help with things. Now, had you reconciled the fact that you, you, you couldn't have natural born children, children that were biologically yours at that point, or was it a grief process that happened afterwards? It was definitely a process. And I still have moments where I'm sad. You know, I have one of my very best friends who she went through her and I have gone through like an infertility journey together. So the day I found out that I couldn't have my own kids, she had a miscarriage mm -hmm. and one of our other friends announced in our group text that she was accidentally pregnant with her third. Mm. And it was yeah. just kind of like, you, you feel really excited for them. Right. Like I, I was very happy for that friend, but I was also really sad for myself. And so her and I, we, we've, you know, we, we've talked about our, our infertility and things like that. And it's just like been something we've bonded over. Um, but now she's pregnant. 
and I'm so wow. happy. And I'm like so ecstatic and I can't wait to meet the baby. And you know, it doesn't, and I still have moments where I'm sad and I'm, and I, and you know, I went and saw her and we were able to listen to the heartbeat via one of those like monitors you can buy on Amazon and I'm, and I'm sobbing and I'm like, I won't get to experience this. I won't get to experience like the pregnancy and, and the weird cravings and, and getting to feel a baby moving inside me in those bonding moments, especially like breastfeeding. Like I'm, I'm someone who's very like free the boob, you know, <laughs> natural, like these people that are trying to stop that from happening in public, like get a life. <laughs> like, sorry. I, but it's natural. Yeah. I'm very natural, but it's one. also a huge bonding moment that you have with your child. And like, those are the things that I'm, pro- I'm never going to have. And I shouldn't say never, I still have an ovary, still have a uterus. I still have a fallopian tube, but so I still have like that glimmer of hope, but I have to be realistic also and, and realize that that's most likely not my journey and that's okay. And I still have moments where I'm sad and that, and that's okay. But I only allow myself, like when I feel sadness, I kind of give myself a time limit. Like I can't wallow in my sadness because that, that doesn't help anything. Um, but I allow myself to feel my feelings because they are valid and, and I'm allowed to have them. But absolutely, it's almost kind of freeing too, in the sense, like, you know, I'm 36 years old and I was kind of like starting to settle for men that, you know, I necessarily <laughs> didn't like, but I was like, yeah, Corey's laughing. Yeah. Pregnant, you know, I need, to get, I need to get this going now. So, you know, well, that- do. but like now I'm like, well, no rush now. So I can be as picky as I want. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, Corey's got this knowing, you know, um, look on his face because I'm the same age as you. Um, and I, you know, he's seen me through. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I met my boyfriend somehow during this pandemic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but um, similarly, I was told when I was like 19 that I would never be able to have kids. Um since then, other doctors have told me otherwise, but if you don't think that that one doctor that told me I couldn't didn't stick in my head and, and, you know, I've never tried. And, you know, when it comes down to it until you try, you, you don't necessarily really know. Um, yeah. so, you know, like I, I just, I, I feel for you so much and I know what you're going through and I'm very grateful to you for talking about this, um, and being open about it. And also like talking about, allowing yourself to feel the feelings and that you can be happy for your friends and sad for yourself. And, and that's totally okay. And you know what? Our good friends are going to be sad for us too. They're going to feel for us. And it's, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's a complex mix of emotions. Yeah. Sorry. Real quick. Um, I was just going to say that it's so I, I have a son. Um, so, and I'm also a man, so I, I have a very, mm-hmm. very outside of perspective on things because, but also too, I've been the person who my wife and I weren't trying for our son. It literally like it would, it just happened. And I, yeah. I used to feel terrible for 
uh, not trying to make this about me or anything, but I used to feel terrible trying to tell my friends like, hey, we're pregnant because I had friends who miscarried, friends who were trying. We had, I, I try to be respectful and not like yeah. rub it in your face. Like, hey, we have a kid you don't. But I'm also like, I want to be happy, but I also want to be in a way that's supportive of you saying like, here's, but also too, I've been the person where we weren't having a kid yet. Not that we were trying ever at any point, but I that also seen friends who were married in less time, getting pregnant faster going, man, like it was easy for us to feel and to feel jealous or to feel, um, you know, just down about it. So I, yeah. it's, it's it's weird I feel like when you're little you learn about your emotions and as you get older you can feel so many different emotions all at one time and it's such a like roller coaster and you're just like wait is it okay that I'm feeling like this is it okay that I'm jealous but also happy for them but also really (laughs) sad for myself and like it's just really weird and and what's funny is like I didn't tell I didn't tell her for a while. I actually didn't tell her about what was going on with me until her baby was about six months old. And, and, and it's because I didn't want to take away from her, her joy. I didn't want her to feel guilty about making me feel sad because it's not her fault, you know? And, and of course, like when I finally did tell her in a like we were together and we were drunk and we, you know, we're <laughs> spilling out our emotions again, that, that liquid courage <laughs> coming in clutch. Um, you know, when, when I finally told her she cried and she held me and she was like, you could have told me. And I, and I know I could have, I know I, she's one of my very best friends and I love her to death and I love her kids and, and I get to have my baby fixed. So that's great. <laughs> Right. Um, so, but you know, she, she felt bad that I felt that I could tell her and it, and it wasn't that I didn't feel like I couldn't tell her. It was, again, it was my fear that I would make her feel badly about feeling joy. And I, and I don't want anyone, I never want anyone to feel bad about feeling happy. Like that is the least thing that's the last thing I want to do to someone because in my opinion like yes I've had a painful last few years and yes I probably have a few more to go but I can't dwell on that pain because if I do it's just gonna take away from the joys in my life because there are joys in my life and I have to focus on that. Otherwise I will be miserable. Absolutely. Yes. So how are you feeling now? Um, Speaking of well, joy, I, yeah. I really hope to hear that it's, you know, you're, you're feeling much better. Yeah. Uh, the surgery went really well. Um, it was about a six hour surgery, um, longer than they anticipated because they didn't really know what they were going into. Um, you know, I, I have the scars you know, I, I call them my, my battle wounds <laughs> and, but you know, the healing process was a lot quicker because they did it laparoscopically. They knew what they were doing. Um, they did leave some in there because they were like, if it's not really bothering you that much, you know, we don't want to cause more, more issues and that's fine. 
Um, it was kind of the left side that they kind of left alone for the most part. And they just mostly focused on the right side because the right side was what was what I was feeling. I was feeling pain on my right side. Um, and but with the IUD, you know, as painful as that was to get in, you know, I'm not really having periods anymore. They if I do get them, they're like spotting here and there. It's nothing too wow. crazy. And I do get slight pain, but nothing that a little pampering and stuff can't, but I have like my daily pain has completely gone away. I've started feeling like myself again. I've lost 22 pounds since the surgery. Um, you know, I, and I'm starting to feel like myself and, and that to me is the greatest joy. And, and my friends that have seen me in the pain and seen me since, or talked to me since can tell, they can tell that I have that pep in my step again, you know, like that, (laughs) you know, it, and again, you know, I still have pain every once in a while and that's never going to go away, but it's not as chronic as it was. And I do feel hope again. And that's the biggest that that's the biggest thing for me is like, I actually feel like myself. I look in the mirror and I see myself again. I see my, my happiness. I see my bubbliness and, you know, someone who enjoys life because for a while I didn't, I hated it. Of course. So, um, we're talking about the physical, the physical, uh, uh, healing, so to speak of what's going on. Um, you mentioned endometriosis support group. Are you doing, are, is that like a big source for you to help with, with when you feel the the blues and everything? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's such amazing women and, you know, and there's even some women who haven't even been completely diagnosed, but based on research that they think that they have it and they come to us and they ask questions. And, and those of us who have been through it, we're able to answer them and we're able to lift each other up. And like, sometimes it's like you get posts and it's like, I'm going in for my excision surgery and I really hope this helps and send me pictures of puppies and kitties. And and so like sometimes, or like babies and, you know, and then you get the women, you know, who are on there and, and they just had a miscarriage. And, you know, or IVF didn't work or, you know, you, you get those and, and, and they kill you and, but we're there to support one another and let them know that they're not alone and that it will get better. And then you get the stories that are like, I'm pregnant, you guys, I'm Mm. I'm finally pregnant. And, you know, and they, you know, talk about their journey and, and they keep you updated and, and they post pictures of their babies and like little rainbow miracle babies. And it's, and it, it makes you so happy because it does, that gives you hope when you feel like there's none left, that glimmer keeps you holding on. And that's kind of what I I try and do. Hope, hope is a powerful thing. Awesome. Um, it really know, is. I mean, faith. <laughs> faith, faith really does. Like, uh, what's that movie? I forget the movie, but it was like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, your faith, like in your hope is, you know, is what, it doesn't matter if it's wrong or if it's right, you know, if it's your hope, it's your faith and it's what keeps you going. So yeah. um, that's amazing. I love that so much. And so you're, you're moving forward now and everything. And obviously you're taking your time, you know, you don't gotta, 
I, I know the dating world is crazy right now. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie's told me enough stories before her boyfriend showed up. So, I mean, you know, and uh, I know this whole conversation started because you posted a video where you were like, I'm scared someone's going to reject me. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, by any means, I think, I think the dating world sucks. <laughs> um, I haven't been in it for almost a decade now, but, um, and I'm glad I'm not in this culture of dating, but the, the, right, <laughs> the, the, the right person is totally going to love the crap out of you for who you are, not because of, of yeah. your, your, you know, absolutely your potential, so to speak, whatever. So, well, I kind of already started doing the online dating, you know, and the first match I had, and I talked to my therapist about it. I was like, when is the right time to bring something like this up? Like, you don't want to bring it up too soon because then like, it's a lot of emotional baggage that you're dropping on someone, but you don't want to bring it up too late in life because it's like, or late in the relationship, because then it's like, well, why, why were you lying to me? Or why were you holding that information back from me? And, you know, you got to bring it up at dessert. Well, you know, you go to dinner, get yeah. dessert, <laughs> you, you split, split a piece of cheesecake, by the way. <laughs> but she, she was like, she made a really good point. She was like, you know, when they bring, like when your relationship is cut to the point where they talk about children and, and, and future and stuff like that, that's a good point to bring it up. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And literally, I'm not even kidding you. The first person I matched with on this dating app one of the, like the second or third question he asks is he's like so what are some of your relationship deal breakers these are mine and the first one is must want biological children and i was like he worded it that you, way are you kidding me <laughs> like the biggest fear i had in this whole situation is being brought up <gasps> right out the gate i'm like mm. Well, sir. Well, I brought it up. So, and I basically told him, I'm like, listen, that's not really an option. I mean, it's a pipe dream, but I'll, I'll tell you this right now. It's probably not going to happen. And he was like, okay, well, good luck. And like unmatched with me. And I was like, so at that point I, I, I allowed myself to feel my feels for a good hour and a half. Um, and then I was like, and then I talked to one of my best guy friends and he was like, well, he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say is that like, you know, I like, I feel for you because I used to go through all this stuff yeah. constantly, you know, because I, I have a chronic illness and I, I was not able to really meet people unless they got COVID tested because I'm super high risk. And I was talking to guys and like, they'd say like, oh, you know, let's go do this. And I'd be like, I can't do that unless this. And they'd be like, wow. Like one guy said to me, imagine using that excuse. Um, if COVID wasn't, you know, wasn't around and I'm like, but COVID is around and it's not an excuse. Like I don't want yeah. to die. Um, and you know, what it comes down to is that person just isn't the right yeah. person, you exactly. know, and I don't ever want you to feel that that is a reflection of you or anything yeah. you're doing wrong or that you're broken or you know because I took all of that so personally and then I'm like I'm just now I have so much clarity since I met my boyfriend and I'm like oh my god I literally was accepting things and being treated certain ways by people that were like just they they maybe seemed shiny and great 
but they they're definitely losers and um well it's yeah. like it's the whole like oh you look great on paper but mm. yeah so yeah. you know and and like honestly in a sense I'm almost glad you went through that right out the gate I am because too actually because like you, it was your biggest fear and you know what kind of it's over it's over and and that just that person was wrong for you and also an asshole (laughs) totally I mean you know what's funny is like I actually kind of enjoy using the COVID excuse like because then I I can just do a video chat with you first and if I don't like you and if I'm not vibing with you you don't have my number you're blocked you don't know where I live so I kind of am, I'm appreciative of of this new, like beginner, like, Hey, let's do a video chat first before we decide to risk our lives with COVID, you know, to have coffee. Right. And the men that are, that are going to be willing to do that. Yeah. Higher quality in my personal opinion. So (laughs) you can tell like these guys that are like, Oh, let's just meet. You're like, so you want to try and. I've been on this like downward spiral on TikTok of these guys that are like, let me tell you how to get to plan the date to get the situation to, so she can't say no to sex and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I've seen it too. Yeah. Oh God. You are the, what side of TikTok are you guys on? I don't know, but I, it's just like, Oh my God. I'm like, you are such a narcissistic that's like coercion is not consent I'm sorry but right (laughs) it's it's just like oh thank god but you know what I gotta appreciate these guys for putting themselves out there like that because now I know to stay away from them like thank you for letting me know what an absolute disgusting human you are (laughs) blocked that is well it's interesting too because you this conversation we started with you talking about doctors and validating your feelings um, but I mean, you know, the, the, the culture we're in right now too, you know, there's a whole big thing about invalidating women, you know, whether that is medically or dealing with sexual assault, there's this whole big world of invalidation. And as a man, I will say that it's crap. We need to fix it. So, yeah, it, it's, it's starting to get really ridiculous. And at this point, it's like, I, I, the men who are standing up for women it's like I've been I I actually did a video I I recorded I haven't posted it but I'm like you know I'm following these men that are standing up for women because they are standing up for us and I'm like the bar is on the floor it's on the floor it's underground like if that is what we're like like oh just stand up for people being human like it was, it blows my mind that there are, that there are men and even some women that invalidate what is going on in this world. And it's bonkers. I totally agree. And, you know, that's something I, I'm really grateful to you, Corey, um, in that, like, even just in this conversation, you sharing your, your side of it as a male yeah. father, um, and that you are compassionate enough um, to, first of all, you know, bring us Ashley and say, hey, this is a conversation that is really, really important. And we want, we want you as our guests. And like, you recognize that, like, 
kudos to you for that dude thank you <laughs> i mean um, honestly we need to clone men like you right so well it's funny I'm not, I'm not trying to like i'm not trying to toot my own horn but because i've had to say this a lot of times but i will tell you how often i'm going through you know social media and i see this girl saying you know the first time it happened i was you know seven years old you know as a neighbor boy or like those videos where they're talking about all the stuff and i'll what i don't say this as a blanket statement but i say it to every person i meet who's a female who's experienced i say listen i can't take back what happened to you i said all i can do is believe you defend you and the biggest thing i'm doing right now is teaching my son to be better than the culture around him my son's three years old we have conversations about consent a lot like what would you do if (laughs) if if you if um if you asked a girl for a hug and she said no i'd walk away good what would you do if she said she wanted a hug and then she decided she didn't? I'd say, okay, and walk away. Like, I'm like basic, it. basic right? little things like, and I hate to have to have those conversations with him, but you know, but if you I need don't- to have more babies. Have more babies, <laughs> make more better people. Right. That's how, that's how we're going to fix this. But yeah, yes. but it's just that thing, just trying to, like, that's the best thing I can do is, is teach him to be- to be a good person, to defend women when they need it, and to respect them and to cherish them. So <clears throat> that's that's my my. If I if I do that in the world, then I've done more than what I need to. So yes, you have. I think I'm that's amazing, it. and and I think that's what we have to do now is is purposefully teach everyone, men, women, he, she's, they's that consent is is universal it's not just men for women it's women for men as well i mean absolutely absolutely that's exactly what i was just thinking about too is that like you know um the invalidation too of men who have have been through abuse as well um you know and also um talking about uh chronic illnesses and um encouraging out, you know, men to also speak up about it because, you know, like I have, I have Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease. And we'll have to connect after this and, and have some more conversations. Cause I think, um, we can really, I, th- I think you can really help me <laughs> to yeah. be honest. And, and so, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk, but, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I notice is that it's very rare that I see men, um, talking about it. I encounter a lot of young females because we're empowered um, and we're, we've been through all this stuff, but I think that there are so, there's got to be so many men out there dealing with it. And, um, you know, they either, you know, don't want to talk about the pain, just like, you know, you were talking about with endometriosis. Um, it's like, oh, am I crazy? Am I feeling like, you know, or like, it's not manly to talk, to, to talk about how much pain I'm in or things like that. So, you know, it, it, this, this is a great conversation, you know, it's a great conversation because yes, we're a grief podcast, right? But like, these are really important conversations because there's so much grief with holding in all of these feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I agree with you in so many ways that, you know, especially our generation and, and Gen X and Gen and, um, boomers, you know, we've all been taught, like, hold your, if, especially if you're a guy, man up, man up. And listen, there is nothing 
more manly, in my opinion, than a man who is open and honest with everything that they're feeling. I feel connected to someone when they are, when they are communicative, when they let their emotions, like emotions are there so we can feel them. And if you need to feel them in private, that's fine. I respect your boundaries, feel them in private, but feel them. Because if you don't, it is so bad for your mental health and it just trickles down to other things, your relationships, your children, your, your, your family, your friends, your work. I mean, it, you have to understand the feelings you're feeling and feel them. And, and it, it is not cowardly. It is not, you know, sissy or any of those things. Like it is honestly the sexiest thing I've ever seen in my life. When a man honest. I, I do cry. Like I'll admit that I don't cry in front of my son often. Like I, I don't think I've ever really, maybe when he was born, I cried in front of him. Uh, not that I'm opposed to it. I just haven't really felt the urge to, but my son, he's three years old. He's trying to figure out his emotions. He cries a lot. I never say suck it up. My son knows he can cry. If he needs to cry, I will, he can sit on my lap. I'll hold him. He can feel what he needs to. Um, I was raised, I was a very sensitive child. So I was never told I couldn't cry. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate. So I, yeah, toxic masculinity is, I really want to have a male guest one of these days to have that conversation because it's, yeah. it's so important and it's, it's so easy to fall in those pitfalls. Um, it is. And so. I, I just, I want, the biggest thing I want is for people to understand that it is, no, it is normal to feel grief. It's normal yes. to feel pain. It's normal to, you know, feel sadness and sorrow and hope and joy. And like, those are things that we need to share, especially to those that we are the closest. I'm not talking about like going to a bar and like crying to a stranger, <laughs> you know, that's what the internet is for. But <laughs> that's what TikTok's yes. for. Yeah. <laughs> I cry on TikTok all the time and yeah. I, love that. I love that I can show that side of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sometimes, and you know, Corey and I were talking about this before you jumped on. It's like, you know, I posted it on TikTok because if I, if anyone was going to invalidate my feelings, it was, if it, if it was going to be strangers, I, I didn't have to put a lot of care or emphasis onto it. Whereas like, if I had done it with people I knew and, and they invalidated them, it would have hurt more. And, but then to have the other side where it was nothing but validation and up, uplifting, you know, sentiment. And, and then there was a few, you know, comments that were not, I understand that they weren't meant to be insensitive and that they were coming from a place of like trying to be uplifting, but you know, my feelings and how I took it, like it, it didn't come off as, as genuine or, you know, there was a few people on there that are like, well, some guys just don't want to have kids. Well, it's not that I don't want to have kids. It's that I can't right. have my own kids. Yeah. And, and I understood that they were coming from a good place and like trying to 
make me feel better, but that didn't make me feel better. Yes. And that's, that's the, I'm glad you bring that up because that's, um, something we had, we had spoken with another, uh, guest about as well of, um, sometimes people are trying to comfort you and you know, exactly. They're not coming from a bad place. They just don't know how else, you know, or they, they're not fully understanding your feelings. And so, um, you know, that is, that's part of, of the grief process too, of, managing that and um you know for a long time I, I I didn't understand that and so um you know hopefully people listening will if if they haven't been through that um or they experience that and they don't realize that that's what's going on so I'm glad I mean, you bring it up I I and I agree with you wholeheartedly uh again I know that they were, they were trying to come from a good place, right? I I know that they weren't trying to hurt my feelings or invalidate my feelings or any of those things. And I could tell that it was like them just trying to make me feel better. But like, again, my feelings and my validation, I took it a certain way and I didn't attack them or anything like that because I try and see from their perspective, what they're trying to do. And again, what they're trying to do is make me feel better. Does it? Not always, but I appreciate the effort. Yes. (laughs) The effort, Uh, effort means a lot. So what we do here, Ashley, we have this thing we do at the end of every episode. It's our, it's our, it's our new favorite thing. We got it on the sticker even. So we (laughs) have, we have this belief on the statement that grief is, and we have our guests finish that sentence. It can be a single word. It can be <laughs> a more than one word. It can be multiple, whatever you think. But if you were going to finish the sentence, grief is, how would you finish it? Inevitable. Yes. But while we all deal with grief in some capacity, it's what you do with it. Do you let the grief control you or do you control the grief? And do you use your grief to try and better yourself and others? Or do you try and make people feel sorry for you? Mm. You know, because at the end of the day, what your choices are and how you deal with it is what's going to affect your life the most. I love it. But it is inevitable. I love it. Yes, it's so true. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to thank have a conversation so with you to me. to get to hear your story. Um, you're a badass. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. And I, I love that you are. Um, you know, putting putting the good word out there and and educating because it's it's just so important and you are going to make a difference. I mean, I'm sure you're making a difference already, but you're definitely going to make a difference for somebody who's experiencing, you know, what you've been through and, um, you know, and, and just doesn't, didn't, didn't know the things that you've told us today. So thank you. Well, you guys, thank you again so much for having me. It was truly an honor and a privilege and, you know, Corey, thank you so much for reaching out originally. Um, you know, I, the fact that you guys are doing this and the fact that you are so open and and caring and 
you want to hear people's stories, I think that's amazing. So I, I appreciate you both. And Jamie, I, I Thank wish you. you so much luck with your Lyme disease journey. I can't. Thank you. <laughs> I've, I've heard stories from my friend with everything she's going through and it, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that you deal with every single day. So yeah, I was literally crying to my boyfriend before we got on this call, like crying. And I was like, I can't, like, I don't know. And then I was like, you know what? Like, cause I, I don't like to take pain pills if I don't have to. Um, and I was like, but like, I, you know, I never want to let my guests down. I never want to let Corey down. And I'm like, I love doing this. And I was like, okay, Jamie, like, what is, what is your reason for not taking the pain pill? Like, just take the damn pain pill, Jamie, <laughs> you know, and I feel great right now and everything's great. It doesn't make me loopy. It's not like a narcotic. It's just, you know, a little bit stronger than, you know, a Tylenol. And so, yeah, I appreciate that very much. Um, you're but- a badass too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And Corey, you're a badass, you know, just yeah, you're, <laughs> you're a badass. <laughs> You're the, you're the manliest man ever. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, it's been great hanging out with you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks everybody.